Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Alex Nolan Basketball Power Hour. I tried to come back to you last week solo. Didn't work. So I'm just back here with you again. So my good friend Dylan Hughes. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs. Kevin Durant this week. If you've been paying attention to basketball at all, he had 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 steals, 2 blocks. It's considered an all-time KD game. All-time KD performance. Dylan Hughes. What is an all-time Dylan Hughes performance? Oh, man. <laughs> wow. You know, I don't want to uh, pour out or uh, pour salt on open wounds or whatever that saying is, but the uh, the little running hook basketball tournament, a 2-0 sweep. I mean, t- we're going to talk about the Mavericks today. GM and coach. I think I could fulfill both of those positions after that performance. <laughs> it's a great answer. Great answer. Um, listen, I have to eat crow on that. You won. I lost. Um, I was the uh, I was the Billy King of the the Running Hook Basketball Network. So I take my L with pride. Um, unlike Billy King, probably did. Um, anyway, we have a lot to talk about. But first, folks. Please make sure if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate, subscribe, and review. Um, if if you write a review, give us five stars. But if you don't like Lynn Sanity, make sure you put "I don't like Caleb Lynn." That's an important thing to us. Um, and if you uh, if you have any complaints, if okay, if you have any compliments for us, my at is at Alex Burr four. Dylan's is at by Dylan Hughes. But if you have any complaints, direct them to at Caleb Lynn one or at Bryce underscore Shaddy. Now, as we begin the proceedings today, um, <laughs> I think let's start with let's start with Kawhi. Actually, we'll save Kawhi for last since he is pertinent to one of our series. Let's start with Chris Paul. So Chris Paul comes down with COVID yesterday. Um, horrible timing. There's a lot of disputed stuff about you know when he could maybe come back. Is he vaccinated? Is he not? Dylan Hughes. Here's my question to you. Even if Chris Paul is out, let's let's just say he misses two or three games. Should the Suns be worried? It depends who they play, I would say. I think if they played the Jazz, they're probably okay. Because I don't know what's going on with Mike Conley. I don't know if they've given a timetable for him. But, I mean, he has been a huge absence for them. So, I don't want to say that's an equal amount of uh, loss for both teams, but it's at least something. But obviously the Clippers, too, with Kawhi. Um, I mean, both of these teams that they would face are damaged in their own right. And, I mean, I would think the Chris Paul thing gets resolved because they said he's vaccinated. And LeBron was vaccinated. He had some sort of an issue, and they just waived that. So why can't they do the same for Chris Paul? It's it's a good question. I don't <laughs> – he must have actually tested positive, right? And the good news is if you test positive, once you test negative, I don't think you have to sit out as long. 
So really, the Sun should be hoping that this Clippers series goes seven games because then, you know, they'll start the conference finals a couple days after game seven ends. But like in that case, that means Chris Paul misses like probably a game, right? Which is at the absolute best case scenario. And you still, you're only down 1-0 if you lose. Or if you're playing the Clippers, you have home court and they've been doing really well at home this postseason. So I, I can't, I don't think they're in that much trouble. Like if they're good enough to make up the difference, if they can win, like let's just say he misses at most three games. I still think they'd be, you know, either up to one or down to one. They wouldn't be down 3-0 without Chris Paul. Like we saw during the regular season, this Suns team is really talented and really determined. Like we probably underestimated them against the Lakers coming in because the Lakers, you know, sleeping giant. But I mean, the Suns have probably looked like the best team in the NBA this whole postseason. I know you, Dylan was on vacation, so you missed all the Suns Nuggets series. But based on like Dylan, you saw in the first round, like the last couple of games against the Lakers, the Suns are looking really good right now. Yeah, I mean, we've I mean we've been hyping them up all year because like you know Chris Paul and Devin Booker obviously they're two best players, but they have good talent around them. I mean, I think. Aiton has been like the surprise story of the postseason, especially in that first round, because I mean, when AD was healthy, he gave him a lot of trouble and Andre Drummond was garbage and Aiton had a big part in that. Um, And, you know, from what I've seen from the Nuggets series, it wasn't the same story necessarily, but again, Jokic is a different animal. And if Rudy Gobert can't guard him, I'm not going to expect DeAndre Aiton to, Um, but yeah, I mean they have they have a balanced attack, and even if Chris Paul does miss some time, I mean hell, like who's who's not to say that campaign can't average like five threes a night? You know, like campaign has the capability of popping off at any time, and it, I mean, even if it's just for one game, that could be the one game that really helps give them the edge. So, I, I think they'll be fine either way. But obviously, you want Chris Paul out there. The one thing I'm scared of is. Chris Paul has been prone to curses in his career. I mean, we saw it happen with Houston. He finally gets to the conference finals and he gets that hamstring injury. And I'm just hoping nothing happens. Nothing fishy happens this time around, but we'll have to see on that. Yes. It's that's a great point with the curse curse, Chris Paul, because the poor man just can't ever seem to catch a break. Like you said, the 2018 conference finals, if he's healthy in that series, they probably win the finals because even if Chris Paul goes down in the finals, there's no way that Cavs team is stopping Harden. Like that Cavs team barely scraped through the Eastern conference, except, except they're afters. Um, <laughs> the real quick tangent, Zach Griffith and I were talking yesterday and we noticed the Cavaliers played exactly the same postseason in 17 and 18 and in 17, they swept the Pacers. 18, 17, swept the Raptors, and then they beat the Celtics in five. Then in 18, Pacers in seven, Celtics took they took Celtics took him to seven, but they still swept the Raptors. I thought that was really, really funny <laughs> coincidence. But yeah, Chris Paul, I hope for his sake he's healthy. But Dylan, we could see a, a good dose of your boy, Etwan Moore, in this series in the uh, upcoming conference finals. We haven't seen him all year, but he might play. 
I mean, everyone knows when you have a chance to lean back on a Purdue Boilermaker, you're going to take that chance and you're going to be happy with it. So the sun should not be sweating whatsoever. Um, yeah, I mean, Etwan Moore was like – he was a great depth addition for them. But, I mean, Torrey Craig kind of just pushed him out where there was no chance of him getting any minutes. Um, obviously, way different kind of player. But, I mean, shoot, you know, if you give him a couple open threes, you know, you don't need a ton out of him. So – and he's a decent positional defender. So, I think they'll be fine. Like, they've they've built this great depth. Uh the past really year and a half. So I, I think they're fine, but I just long kind of long-term wise. I just hope nothing else happens with Chris Paul. Oh, same here. Same here. We hope he's okay. Um, let's talk about the firings next. It kind of going a little out of order here, but Kawhi, Kawhi involves our series. So it makes more sense to save him for last. Um, so Terry Stotts got fired last week after a, a six-game exit to the Denver Nuggets. And deserve, I would say deservedly so at that point. You know, been there for a while, stagnant roster, blah, blah, blah. Nate Bjorkren fired last week. I think actually the – I think last Thursday when we would have recorded if we were if we did Power Hour last week. So Dylan's excited about Bjorkren being gone. Stan Van Gundy this week fired from the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. And by the way – all these coaches mutually agreed to part ways. They all got <laughs> fired. They all got fired. No one wants, like, a coach, we always hear, what's the number one thing a coach values? Job security. Well, why would they mutually agree to part ways if they didn't want to leave? So, um, Stan Van Gundy, fired. Scott Brooks, they weren't able to come to terms on a contract agreement, fired. And the most interesting ones, and these are two um, – Donnie Nelson got fired and Rick Carlisle seems to have resigned. The Rick Carlisle one is the most recent. Um, I don't think we have to talk about stats much. It felt like that was coming from a mile away. Let's talk about Bjorkren though. Dylan, th- we saw this coming as soon as that, that uh, Bleacher Report article came out, right? Like there was no shadow of a doubt that he was going to be the, the Pacers coach next year. Yeah. And you know, after the report came out, the Pacers were like a 500 team. They didn't make the playoffs, you know, so it was it was expected and it was necessary. I mean, it was it was a mistake from the front office. They just didn't do their complete due diligence on everyone and they chose the wrong guy. And, you know, it's it, it's better to acknowledge your mistake before it becomes more of a problem than let it go to save face. So I think they made the right choice. I, I agree. Um, Bjorkren, like the basketball looked really good, but that doesn't matter in the NBA. Like this isn't college basketball where you could be a complete and total dick to your players. It's just a different sport. So yeah, he had to go, especially after the TJ Warren bit of information, which this Pacers team, Dylan, I, I'll ask you this. We obviously off season is a good while away. The lottery is next Tuesday, but this Pacers team, we can guarantee it's not going to look the same next year, right? Like I'm not, I'm not crazy for thinking that. Yeah. I don't think you're crazy. I'm just trying to figure out like what makes the most sense. Like I've seen multiple reports about miles Turner. Miles Turner continues to be in these rumors. I just don't, there's trades that make sense. I just don't think that's the one that's like an issue. Like 
I think it would make more sense to trade Sabonis, honestly. Even though he's the bigger stats guy, he's more talented, whatever. I just think, first of all, you'd get more for him than Turner. And second of all, I just – you have too many ball handlers. And if you have – because when you, you're going to have Levert, you're going to have Brogdon, you're going to have Warren. So either you get rid of one of those guys or you get rid of Sabonis. And, you know, people have talked about Brogdon. I don't think that would be crazy either. You know, maybe get more of like a off-ball type of point guard, more, more of a combo guard, which Brogdon really should be. But since he's gotten to Indiana, he's just been more of a ball handler. So I think either of those guys make the most sense. And you could get a nice haul for him. I mean, I don't know. Like, you could probably attach Brogdon to the pick they have and get up and get Jalen Suggs or something like that, you know? Or if you want to get an older guy, maybe there's something out there. But they have options. I don't think it's going to be a drastic roster overturn. But, I mean, first of all, get rid of Jeremy Lamb. That's the first That's the first one. <laughs> then you start figuring the other thing out. But, yeah, I, I do think there's going to be some sort of a large change, but not a complete roster overhaul. Yeah, it just feels like something needs to be changed at this point. Like, this roster is basically – run its course which you know the Pacers haven't had the same roster like they've had so much roster overhaul over the last like the few years before this one that it's like oh hey the Pacers are coming into the season with the exact same roster and it turned out to be a tire fire so let's see how they proceed with that um Stan Van Gundy um Dylan we weren't a fan of how the Pelicans operated this season apparently Zion and uh, Brandon Ingram weren't either um how are we feeling about Stan Van Gundy leaving the New Orleans Pelicans? We're feeling great, man. I mean, I, listen, I've I'm slow. I'm way behind on NBA coverage, so like I haven't been able to read the stories, but I'm pretty sure the players just didn't like him uh, from what I've seen, and we've shit on them all year. Like they were run. Like why was Lonzo a spot up shooter? You know, we talked about that. Why? play they played terrible defense they just they just let guys hit wide open threes they were one of the worst three-point defending teams in the league which you know guarding the three-point line turns out to be a pretty good idea when the teams are throwing 40 of them up a night uh just terrible spacing like i mean giving zion the ball in the second half of the season worked out but that was like the one good move he made so i just he just he's done. Like just go back to broadcasting. Let someone else do it. But as I tweeted yesterday, should have never fired Gentry. Just didn't it never made sense to me why they thought he was an issue. And they did it and now they're gonna have to regret it. So I saw I you know, I did have a little more time than you did. You know, you just got back from vacation, you're you're doing work, you know, you got you're you're a busy man, Dylan Hughes. Thankfully, there was a big athletic article they put out today about the firing of Stan Van Gundy, you know, like an insider, like not like dissimilar to the um, the Mavericks article, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we get there. But basically it was saying that Brandon Ingram was like, we would need to run sets to make me and Zion be able to work together and make our lives easier. Like that was, he, I don't think he was directly quoted as saying that, but that was something apparently he told Stan Van Gundy. And it's like, that's not the way to make your guys win. And it, when you watch the Pelicans play, Ingram and Zion barely were involved in any actions together. Like, that's going to be the way to make them successful is to run a, 
Ingram, Zion pick and roll. And how many of those do we see this year? How many how many games would they have won in spite of the spacing if they had run that more this year? Like we saw last year for in uh, 2020, Ingram's a good pick and roll ball handler. He's not some slouch handling on the pick and roll. I don't think I think it's a good thing they fired Sam Van Gundy. Um, hopefully they can bring back Lonzo and Josh Hart because otherwise it's pretty bleak <laughs> for the Pelicans. I mean, Kira Lewis looked good, you know, from what we saw. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker is an interesting player, but I mean, it's pretty bare bones after Ingram and Zion if Hart and Lonzo leave. So, I mean, here's a question for you before we move on to, uh, we're not going to really talk about Scott Brooks, but does Griffin deserve more flack than he's been getting? Because this roster was very poorly put together. Um, I know they made the, I know they made the, um, holiday trade, but it felt like they could have had, they could have kept George Hill sent bloods out OKC. Then they could have traded for Al Horford. Like, it just feels like if you had, if you had Hill and Horford instead of Bledsoe and Adams, it feels like things would have gone a lot better for the Sixers this year or for the Pelicans. (laughs) Yeah, it, it feels like they're they were one move short of things making sense. Getting Bledsoe and Adams was kind of like a, the second of three moves almost, and they just never made the third move. If you got one of them, it would have been fine. I mean, I think they would have been fine with Adams. And even though there's no spacing down low, Zion figured it out. Like I honestly wasn't really worried about that. Cause the when you when we watched him, it's like it, the dude would be guarded by four guys and just make it anyway. So the spacing wasn't that big of a deal. And Steven Adams is such a good defender. It's like you know, I think that was a fine move. The Bledsoe move obviously was awful. I mean, he just sucks, and he didn't care. He knew he was on a bad team. He was on the Bucks, and you know, pretty good situation. All of a sudden, he's on a terrible team with no spacing and. He just didn't care. So, obviously, if you have George Hill in that situation instead, it's great. And everyone wins because Eric Bledsoe could be an OKC just riding the pine, and no one would care because everyone hates Eric Bledsoe, or at least I hope they do because he deserves it. So, yeah, it it feels like he was one move short of things making sense. And, I mean, I'm not going to give him too much flack, but – if he doesn't have a good season this year, he probably should be gone. Yes. And normally teams acquire all these draft picks and they're like, oh, hey, you know, this is job security, job security, job security. But Griffin's already gone through two coaches. Like he is going to probably be on the hot seat next year, especially with apparently Zion's family doesn't want him in New Orleans. Now, you know, who's to say? Whether those rumors are true, we hear those rumors all the time. But I, I can't help but think that where there's smoke, there's fire. You know what I mean? These aren't just coming out unsubstantiated. So I think that they, they're they trying to please Zion. And ultimately, they're kind of coming up like the uh, mid-2000s Cavs. We see this example all the time. And it's kind of like what's kind of happening in Dallas, too. Like, they're trying to please the superstar. But the guys they're bringing in aren't actually that good. And then you either miss the playoffs or you don't advance. Like the fact that LeBron took the 07 Cavs to the finals is, is probably his greatest career accomplishment to date. And Zion's not LeBron. He never will be LeBron. Like there is no LeBron. There's only been like 
one guy better than LeBron. And you could argue whether or not that guy was better than LeBron. So yeah, Zion, I understand them trying to play Zion, but they really, they should have just taken their time. They should have just been patient say, Hey Zion, we're going to develop these guys. We're going to get better. And then like by year four, you guys should be good enough where you could probably take them to the second round of the playoffs, but they didn't do that because they're scared. They're scared of him wanting out. And it's a reasonable fear. I just, I wish, I just wish there's more patience involved. Yeah. And I mean, again, this is a huge year for the Pelicans because next summer Zion can sign that extension. And I'm just waiting for the first guy to say, I'm going to take the whatever it's called. The the, qualifying offer. Yeah. I'm going to take the qualifying offer and I'm just going to pray to God. I don't get hurt. And and if I, if I make it through, I'm going to the Knicks or the Lakers or wherever, you know, even if it's the freaking Grizzlies, like wherever I'm not playing here. And I don't know, like, it's probably going to have to be someone like Zion to do it. Like he's already made a ton of money already. If he retired tomorrow, he's set for life. As long as he's not stupid, you know, like the, I don't know. They, they better watch themselves because if they trade for Eric Bledsoe 2.0, it might push him to do it. Exactly. But um, I think that's all we need to talk about for new Orleans since we got so much to talk about. Let's go ahead and move on to probably the biggest story of this whole week. Even bigger. I would say this is a bigger story than the KD monster game, which is telling you something about the story. So, okay, just a little bit of context here in case you are living under a rock. On the Monday, Tim Cato and Sam Amick report this huge story, this huge expose about Haralabob Vulgaris, a former NBA gambler turned Mavericks executive, right? And like, oh, Vulgaris doesn't get along with Luca. Um, Vulgaris, you know, he's basically telling Carlisle which guys to play. And then, you know, he and Donnie Nelson don't get along. Donnie Nelson, the longtime general manager of the Mavericks. And then on Wednesday, Donnie Nelson is fired. And ostensibly the leak, one of the many leaks on that story. I listened to the low post just before we hopped on. And Tim McMahon said that uh, there is no way Nelson was the only leak to that, which I found interesting. But then earlier on Thursday, with the day we're recording this, Rick Carlisle resigned. And I, Dylan, this whole Maverick situation is just fascinating. Um, it seems like they're giving Luca pretty much all the power in that organization because Luca and Carlisle not seem to get along very well. Yeah, a little scary. A little scary. I mean, it took how long did it take LeBron to earn that power? You know, 15 years. He didn't get it in. Like, I'd say he had it in Cleveland, but even then, Blatt didn't get fired because of him. Griffin fired Blatt. Yeah, and they were better when Lou was holding LeBron accountable, right? So giving the superstar the power, not the way to go, especially when he's proven nothing to this point as far as wins in the playoffs. Again, not his fault, but it's too too much. I mean, to fire – I mean, to basically fire – two of the longest tenured executives and coaches in the league, probably because of Luca. I mean, that's kind of scary and it's interesting to see where they go next. And I understand why Luca would be frustrated because if you've watched the Mavericks the past two years, it's literally been him. 
I mean, again, last year Porzingis was great, and then he got hurt. This year Porzingis sucked. And I still think the Porzingis trade was a good trade for them. I don't think they gave up that much, really. And, I mean, injury is a risk, and obviously they knew he was injury-prone before that because they traded for him when he was injured. But it's it's interesting to see where they go from here because they, they, they kind of need a free agency splash of some sort. Otherwise, it's, it's going to look kind of iffy there. And, I mean, I think the roster's fine. It's not perfect, obviously. But where they go with coach and executive next, that's going to be interesting. And I totally agree. Um, they should totally go all in on Kyle Lowry. They should clear max cap space and they should say, hey, Kyle, you come here. You make us better because it'll be better for Chris. Absolutely better for Luca. But that's not I feel like, you know, I'm going to bring up the clips map scores. But we're not really going to talk about that series. I mean, Kawhi just dominated the end of that series. I mean, Kawhi was just a fucking monster against the Mavericks, really. Like, especially the last two games. He had 45 points in game six. Just a ridiculous performance. But I think, so Donnie Nelson's probably going to go somewhere, right? Either that or he's going to go smoke weed with his dad on the farm in Hawaii. But Rick Carlisle, by far, the best free agent coach, right? Like, I, I don't think it's really close. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a guy that's like constantly in the top five, maybe even top three discussion in the league. I mean, it's been him, Spolstra, and Pop, I would say, really, for the past 10 years. Like, those have been the three staples. And obviously, some guys have come in and out. But, I mean, it's huge. Like, he's been there for, what, 13 seasons? Like, that's a long-ass time. (laughs) And wherever he goes next, man, that's – that's going to be a team that's going to be thanking the basketball gods for that situation in Dallas. And okay. it's sadly probably going to be Boston, but we'll have to see. Well, okay. You're Rick Carlisle. Okay. I'm going to give you the choice of four coaching jobs. You rank them from one to four. All right. One, and this job isn't open yet, but if they lose tonight, this job will be open. Milwaukee. Boston, Indiana, or Portland? Break those one to four in terms of what you'd want. I mean, definitely Milwaukee won. I just, I want to have a cup of coffee with Bud. I just do. I want to say, why the fuck is Giannis not playing the five? I, I, I don't know what, what he's looking at. I don't know if he's trying to keep Giannis happy or something, but it, it doesn't work. We just see it year after year. Teams shut him down. He is not a perimeter in, like, he is not a guy that should work from the perimeter in. He's just not. You trade for Drew Holiday, you've got two really good pick-and-roll guys in Holiday and Middleton, okay? Have them handle the ball, feed Giannis down low, you're going to win the title or at least get there. It really is not that difficult. So that's all Carl I would have to do. Say, hey, we're going to play Giannis a little bit down low. We're going to play him more often down low. Title team right there. Boston, definitely number two, because they're I think they're one guy away. I mean, Tatum and Brown are studs. And Brown, Tatum especially, as we saw this year, is like a super stud. <laughs> I mean, he he's going to be 
top 10 fringe guy, if not inside it. So, you know, either you get Kemba Walker on Kemba, Kemba Walker on track or you get someone else, but they're close. It Portland and Indiana is interesting. Like Portland's more talented, obviously, but in the West, it's so much harder to win. I feel like he would have an easier time with the Pacers because there's less friction ahead. But I mean, again, Boston, Milwaukee are the two of those teams. They're probably going to improve. And, you know, it's, it's close. Like I don't, I might just have them at a tie because I don't think there's a too much of a difference. I feel like Carlisle would probably rather coach in the East after coaching in the West for so long. So maybe that gives the Pacers the nod, but yeah, it, it's pretty close either way. Yeah, I think that I would probably agree with that order. Um, but I would probably fa- I would edge the Pacers over the Blazers. Like I would make that definitive. Like I think that you know there's a lot of uncertainty with the Blazers, whereas there's not a lot of uncertainty with the Pacers. Like yeah, they might trade a piece or two, but the pieces might fit a lot better after they trade that piece. So I think that you know it's going to be tough. I don't think there's any way Carlisle can, if. If they couldn't handle Stan Van Gundy, which also seemed to be a problem, they're not going to be able to handle Rick Carlisle. <laughs> so that's that's interesting um, development. And I think we're all good on the coaches. Oh, I forgot to put this in my rundown, but we should talk about it. DeAndre Hunter went down for the series for the uh, Hawks. And, you know, you would think it would be a huge loss, but the Hawks are playing really good in spite of him. But, I mean, Dylan they don't win the first round series without DeAndre Hunter, or they don't win as convincingly without DeAndre Hunter. No, I mean, he was, he was massive as far as shot creation and defense. I mean, he was, he was huge. And some of the stat lines really aren't going to pop out at you, but I mean, there was, it was one of the earlier games. He had like eight points and it was like the biggest eight points of all time, (laughs) just because of what he was doing off the ball and on defense too. So yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't really shown up, which I would say is surprising. I mean, like the Sixers don't have Danny Green, so that, I guess, might offset it a bit. But, I mean, we're going to talk about this series. I'm kind of surprised at how it's turning out. but um, Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. That's interesting. Well, we'll talk about – We'll talk about um, that one later. Well, let's save the Kawhi stuff for the uh, Clippers Mavericks series. We'll we'll get into that. Let me just recap the first round series real quick because we didn't ever do that. So Memphis lost one twenty six to one ten to Utah. Um, Washington got blown out by Philly one twenty nine to one twelve. Atlanta basically blew out the Knicks one hundred three to eighty nine. Then the Clips Mavs went seven games. Dallas won game five one hundred five to one hundred. Then the Clippers won 104-97, and Clippers won, beat them decisively in Game 7, 126-111. to 111. Um, We don't really need to talk about any of the stuff from that series. Let's start with Clippers, Jazz, and the Kawhi stuff. Dylan, we don't know the extent of Kawhi's injury, but this – I mean, they could win this series. They could very well win this series, but I don't think they can win the finals without Kawhi. No, I mean – we talked about this a lot before the series even happened that the jazz don't really have the guys to guard Kawhi and PG. So of any series for him to get hurt, this is the one they had the best chance of winning. And as we saw last night, 
they can put together enough from PG and everyone else to kind of fill that hole for now. But they're going to have to get through the Suns and probably the Nets, maybe. I don't like the health. Who knows at this point? I mean, all these East teams are looking really, really bad right now. I mean, the Hawks being probably the safest bet or the healthiest team right now is really not a good sign for the East. Um, but, well, of course, the Bucks are healthy, but they have the worst coach. So, <laughs> Well, so, they're missing Dante DiVincenzo. Right, yeah. That, yeah, that was an underrated loss. Not a lot of people talked about that because he's like the sixth best player on that team probably, or at least the fifth. But, I mean, I mean, we were kind of giving him a little bit of hype this year. Like, he was really, really good positional defender. Like, I think – like, no one really talks about his defense. I think he's a really good defender. Um, and, obviously, his shooting, he's a nice little ball handle. Like, he can do a lot. And that was definitely a big loss. And I, I don't think – He's the reason they're losing to the Nets, you know. That's mm-hmm. they've been able to to fill that hole. But again, you want to have you want to be as healthy as you can moving forward. And I mean, Kawhi has just been insane. He he pulled it out against the Mavericks. Like they probably could have won if he didn't go that crazy, but he sealed the deal. And up to this point, I mean. I would the Jazz won the first two games, you know, like Kawhi. <laughs> someone put a thing on Twitter the other day of Kawhi when he's down to a or yeah, 2 0. He just he he gets in his bag, he doesn't like being down 2 0. And gosh, it sucks because like that was it wasn't that close to the end of the game, but like they were probably like for sure gonna win that game when he bangs knees with Ingles. So it's tough. I mean, the injury didn't look like an ACL tear. Like, I don't think they've actually said what it is yet, but we'll see, man. I mean, obviously, Kawhi has probably been the best player in the playoffs at this point. So, for him to go down, I mean, the Clippers are pretty much done. Yeah, I would say either him or KD has been the best player in the playoffs. But it really hasn't been that much of a gap. Like, Kawhi... And, like, you know, in 2019, you could say, oh, Kawhi's been great, but he's doing it in the Eastern Conference. This time he was doing it in the West, and KD's doing it in the East. <laughs> and, I mean, KD, you know, the Celtics are fine, but they're no they're no Mavericks. You know what I mean? So, Kawhi was definitely the best player in the West so far this playoffs. Like, it'd probably be him, then Devin Booker, then Donovan Mitchell, right? Like, in some order. But... They really needed everything they got from Kawhi in game four. But PG, since Kawhi got hurt, I mean, really, he's been playing well the whole series. I know he had the one dud in game one, but PG's played well this whole series. He's been probably as crazy as it is to say, like, yeah, Kawhi's been a better scorer, but PG, can we, let's, just, let's just talk about Paul George. He's been really fucking good this whole playoffs. This is the best he's probably played for a whole playoff since 2014, like for an extended playoff run. And we have to, you know, we have to give him credit because he's finally showing up. He's getting to the rim. He's, you know, stopping on a dime for mid-range pull-ups. He's dishing the ball really well. I mean, is it crazy to say that even with Kawhi, PG might have been the best player in the series? I mean, yeah, he's been he's been insane. 
like his the last three games, the three games they've won, he's had 31, 31, and 37. I mean, he's been amazing. And yeah, I mean, getting to the rim is a huge part of it. Like past two games, 21 free throws in both of those games combined. So that's not something we're used to seeing from him. And he's actually only had one game this series where he's had less than nine free throws. So again, that's not really very characteristic of him. Uh, he's just, he used to really not care to get to the rim. He was just a pull up jumper guy. And I think it held him back a lot. And now, I mean, he loves getting to the rim. And I think a big reason in this series is, I mean, I'll talk more about Batum later, but them playing small has like Gobert gets switched on to Paul George a lot. I think that's what's made it a lot easier for him because he could just blow right past Gobert. I mean, he has no issues. And like sometimes Gobert makes good plays on him, but he it's just such an easy matchup advantage for them. And like shout out to Ty Lue for making that move because they made that move in the Grizzlies series and it's just opened everything up for them. But yeah, Paul George on both ends has been incredible. And like last night, right? You're like, oh, why isn't PG guarding Mitchell at all in this game? Well, it's because PG was doing so much on offense. He couldn't do what he was doing the first couple of games, which was being the primary defender on, on Donovan Mitchell. Like they needed that, you know, Reggie, they needed Terrence Mann to guard him more. They needed Reggie, they needed Patrick Beverly. And speaking of Tyler adjustments, the way he's flip-flopped his rotations series by series, like last series, Rondo was a big part of the rotation. This series, he's barely seen the floor, and Beverly's been the main guy because Beverly can bother Clarkson and um Clarkson and Mitchell. And we've seen it, you know, over and over again, where like he's keeping adjusting the rotations. And yeah, he did go small during the Maverick series, but during the first two games of this one, he's like, okay, let's try Boogie out. Let's see if Boogie can give us anything in this series. Nope. All right, Boogie. Sorry, you're going back to the bench. Um, let's see if, you know, he tries all these different guys and all these different rotations. Zubak has only played <laughs> 73 minutes this whole series. Like, you would think Zubak would play a lot with, you know, with Rudy on the floor, but he hasn't. And it's really just been a coaching tour to force, but yeah, Paul George, when he's initiating and he's driving a lot, like he got, you could tell he kind of got tired there during the fourth quarter of the game last night, but Reggie, Reggie gave them a much needed boost. I feel like we, we got to talk about Reggie Jackson. He's been probably, I don't think it's exaggerating to say this during this whole playoff run, he's been their third best player. Like I, I don't think I'm crazy for saying that. Like, this series, 50, 58% from the field, 52% from three on 29 three-point attempts. He's shooting six threes a game, and he's making 52% of them. Like, first of all, Reggie's going to get paid next summer. And, like, what do you think of this transformation to Reggie Jackson's game? I'm not super shocked because, I mean, he's he's not always bad. He's just bad sometimes. Like, he had a lot of games this year, and I think I talked about this. He was either our last pot or the one before, about how he'll score, like, 20 points on, in one night and then, like, six the next. You know, like, he's he's had games where he's been awesome, but it's just he he's never really consistent. And, I mean, we were even talking about it. Like, when they were down 2-0 to the Mavs, they needed that third guy. Like, I, I, I said, this is last year's Lakers team. If they don't get that third guy to step up, they're not going to make it. 
And look what's happened. Reggie Jackson steps up. Marcus Morris is who I expected to step up, and he has. He's been much better uh, this series than the Mavericks series. But, I mean, yeah, Reggie Jackson's definitely been the guy. Like, he's just basically a lock to make open threes from the top of the key. He gets so many of those looks because Paul George has been just getting to the paint and kicking it out. He's been getting a lot of good looks. And, I mean, he's been he's been good at getting to the room, too, and making plays. So, yeah, I mean, he's been he's been huge. And it's been necessary because we've talked all year about how they just don't have enough production from the point guard position. Beverly is just showing who he is. And really, we should have seen it longer ago that he was just not going to be enough for them. And now, I mean, he's playing more this series than he did last series. But, yeah, Reggie Jackson has very clearly cemented himself as their starting point guard and possibly the third best player. And just the spacing, right? Because it doesn't work without him. It doesn't work without Marcus Morris, who's had a down series by his standards, but is still at 35% from three. Like, he's still been very good spacing the floor. And then Batum's at 48% from three. And it feels like they're liable, any of them, if they're open, they're going to make a three. The ball movement's been spectacular. Like, I think that we talked about that during the regular season. Like, their ball movement's been a lot better than what it was during the, you know, regular year or last year's playoffs. And it just feels like every time they're open, I like when Reggie or... PG, you brought up PG, but Reggie does it too. When PG has Ru- or when Reggie has Rudy on a switch, he does a couple of dribbles, waits to get the angle, then he takes him down low and gets usually the reverse layup. Like they've both been attacking Rudy on the switches, and I didn't think they were going to play Rudy. Like especially after game one, I didn't think they were going to play Rudy off the floor. Like Rudy was good enough to stay on the floor, but through the co- through the course of this whole series, they've been playing Rudy Gobert off the floor. Yeah, again, like I wanted to talk about Batum. I mean, Batum, he's not a stat stuffer, but his mere presence out there opens everything up. They are always going to have the advantage on Gobert because someone smaller and quicker than him is going to get on him. And they're going to take him out to the perimeter and just run past him. And you were talking about ball movement. I think Batum's a big part of that too because he just sits on the perimeter and he's such a great passer. He's either going to kick it to the guy that's going to shoot it or he's going to kick it to the guy that's going to kick it to the guy that's going to shoot it. I mean, he just he just helps everything flow on offense and defense. I mean, like last night, four steals, you know, and there was a play. It was either last night or the other the game uh, game four. You know, Donovan Mitchell seems like he has an easy run at the basket, but Toon just blocks the hell out of them. You know, it's just those small plays where Batum really just fills in the gap where they need him. And, you know, we can talk as much as we want about Kawhi and PG and Reggie Jackson, but Batum, man, I don't care if he scores four points or 40, like he, I think he's been a huge, huge piece in this turnaround for them. Yeah. I mean, we, I think during one, I think our second, our second Clippers pod, we kind of noticed then that the ball movement was better. And I think a lot of it was because of Batum. Like he wasn't starting then. I don't, I think they were still starting, um, I think their lineup was Reggie, PG, Kawhi, Morris, and Zubak. But when he was in the game, their ball movement was noticeably, noticeably better. And, like, that was always the thing on Batum. Like, I feel like the knock on him was always like, oh, he's passive, but he he makes the right play. And he's kind of filling a hybrid Boris Diaw and Marcus Gasol role. 
on defense, Boris Diaw and offense, Mark Saul, because I mean, obviously Boris Diaw is a great passer. Don't get me wrong, but you, you get where I'm coming from. I, I think that Batum, you're right. He's been so necessary to get, you know, the pieces going because we saw during the Mavericks series, they tried a zone against the, uh, against the Clippers and it kind of worked, but when it didn't work was when Batum had the ball and Morris was cutting and then either PG or Kawhi was open from three. Like that's when it didn't work. And Batum's just been so awesome for them. Like, I don't think he's going to get paid, but I really hope he stays with the Clippers for the next couple of years. I don't think this team is breaking up. Like I've, I'm done thinking that I think Kawhi is going to stay. I think PG is going to stay. They're going to age together gracefully or not, but they're going to stay together. And I think if you have Kawhi, PG, Morris, and Batum, you could honestly slot in a good amount of point guards and maybe hope for the best. Like, I think that that might be the way to go for the future for them. Yeah. I like, what about Patty Mills? You know, I don't mm. know if Patty Mills is ever going to leave, but man, you put Patty Mills on that team. That's a damn, damn good team. It's even more dangerous than the one with Reggie. Yeah, I, it's a it's a good thought, but I I would love to see that. I I just don't think if he leaves, I don't think he's going to L.A. I don't know why, but I mean maybe you know maybe Patty loves Kawhi. Who's to say though? Like maybe they're really good friends. But um, I feel like our last Clippers guy we should talk about Luke Kennard. So he's sat the first five games of the playoffs. Then he's been playing from game six on and Dylan, this is the Luke Kennard that we thought was going to be there all year. Like he's made a really big impact shooting the ball. He's been driving. I mean, Dylan, Luke Kennard kept them in game one. Like, I think that Kennard, he's, I I just can't understate the impact that Kennard has had in this playoffs. Yeah. That was something me and Caleb Lynn were texting about when the Clippers were down 2-0 to the Mavs that they need creation so bad. Why is Kennard still on the bench? And I mean, they figured it out in that series, but they've, he's finally taken Kennard out. And the thing about Kennard is he doesn't have to do a ton to make a difference. Like literally two threes, which is what he had last night. Like two threes can open so much up. And it gives them something way different than any of those other guards are outside of Jackson. Like Rondo, you know, Rondo and Beverly are, are similar that like they still have use. It's just not really the use the Clippers need as much. And Kennard, I mean, fills in that gap where he like, he can, he can shoot, you know, a catch and shoot three or dribble in a little bit. And I mean, as PG is showing, and as I've talked about for it feels like my entire life, durable penetration, that's what makes an offense go. And Luke Kennard is a guy that just just a tiny bit of ball handling uh, injected into that lineup, it just opens guys up. And, you know, talking about ball movement, again, like someone like that, they can hit pull-up threes or pull-up jumpers, get him in the mix a little bit, and things start to flow. And it's really huge, like when they when they can't buy a bucket. Like you brought up the dribble penetration. What like his best move is the dribble into the paint and then do a little fade, like a 15-foot fadeaway. That's cash, it feels like every single time. So I mean, he's been great. I love the Terrence Man minutes they've been playing. Um I just like I don't think there's any specific like game things we need to talk about. 
I feel like we've covered a lot of ground for the Clippers. Um, I, anything else we need to talk about on the Clippers before we move on to the Jazz? Mm, well, it is a you mentioned Zubac earlier. It is a tad surprising he's not played, especially because Ibaka has not really he's out. Um, but I, I think they've just been planning for Ibaka to be out for like months now because he basically has been. So I don't think that injury actually had much of an impact. I mean, I think Lou just is like it's Batum ride or die because we have such a huge advantage with all our wings against anybody, especially Gobert, that who cares about centers? Like, we're playing small, we'll figure it out. And that's what they've done. Yeah, I brought up Diaw earlier, and one of the things um, – one of the things Batum said after, like, one of the first games of the Mavericks series was, give me some Nick Batum – or give me some Boris Diaw tape. I'm going to figure out how to do this. And it's basically what he's done. And props – like – Boris Diaw, they don't win that championship. They don't make the finals in 2013, and they don't win the finals. The Spurs don't win the finals in 2014 without Boris Diaw. He is such a key cog in that machine. And, you know, it's a lot of selflessness involved in doing that role. A lot. And good on, you know, good on Batum because that's hard. So I think it's time to move on to the Jazz. Um, I feel like there's no other place to start than Mitchell. Like... Through the first seven games of the playoffs, he was looking like the playoff MVP. But the last three games, he's really like, so, okay, game three, Donovan Mitchell, 11 to 24 for 30 points. Not bad, right? But the Jazz lost by almost 30 in game. I don't, I didn't read the scores. Okay. Game one, Utah 112, Clippers 109. Game two, Utah won 117 to 11. Game three, Clippers 132 to 106. Game four, Clippers one eighteen to one hundred and four. Then uh, game five, Clippers one eighteen to one eleven. All right, I forgot to do that at the top. Sorry. Um, game four for Donovan Mitchell, thirty nine minutes, thirty seven points, but on nine of twenty six shooting. He did get to the foul line fifteen times, but not exactly promising for old Dono. And then last game, Donovan Mitchell last night, he shot. It was not good. He shot six of 19 for 21 points, and he only got to the foul line six times. Um, Are we sure, like, is this what Mitchell is, or is he just hurt? Like, he's dealing with an ankle problem, but I think that it's a lot of factors, right? But I'm, I, it, okay. Am I wrong to be concerned about Donovan Mitchell? No. I mean, I talked about this last year. He popped off last year, but up to that point, he was, inefficient as hell in the playoffs the two years prior to last year he was a terrible playoff player i think he was shooting like below 40 percent from the field and you know last year it was great was it bubble i don't know but i i kind of think conley not being out there is a huge deal because in the grizzly series he was a lot more efficient like he wasn't incredible but i think he was shooting he shot like 46 percent and I think this series he's shooting like 43. And he's shooting like more shots a game, obviously, because Conley's not out there. He's got to do more. And, you know, three percentage points may not sound like a huge difference, but, I mean, that can be the difference between winning by four and losing by four, you know? It's every every shot matters in the playoffs. And Conley not being there – I mean, Conley was excellent against the Grizzlies. He was 
I still think he may have been their best player. Honestly, like it's, it's, it, he may not have been their best player, but it's debatable. Like, I think everyone would say Gobert and Mitchell before him, but he was fantastic on both ends of the floor. And not having him out there is huge. And after watching the past two games, like my takeaway is I think the Clippers are going to win this because the Clippers have more pieces to make up for Kawhi's absence than the Jazz do Conley's absence. No one on the Jazz can do what Conley does. Like, I'm not saying that anyone on the Clippers can do what Kawhi does, but he's he's just a shot. He's a shot maker and a great defender, right? The Clippers have a lot of good wings, and they have Paul George, who is worse than Kawhi, but not by like a you know um, ten miles or anything like that. Like he can he can step up, and he did last night. Who on this Grizzlies team or who on this Jazz team can replace Conley? I mean, Royce O'Neal passes up every open three he gets, it seems like. He's obviously a great defender, but, like, he's not the passer. You know, Clarkson, great on offense, not a good defender. And after that, they literally have no options. I mean, Joe Ingles maybe is the best option, but, like, I don't know. There, I think there's just kind of a ceiling on his game. So, the with Conley gone, Mitchell basically just has to create everything for them. And – they have enough shooting where like they've been able to stay in these games, but they've dropped three in a row. And I just don't think Mitchell as the sole ball handler has the ability to win a series. No. And we kind of talk, I think our main concerns when we did our last jazz pod for the pout, like during the team weeks was Mitchell's passing and his pull-up shooting. The pull-up shooting is very real. Like, I don't think we can deny that anymore. Like, he's a legit threat at that. And, you know, eventually that'll unlock other parts of his game. But now is not eventually. Now is now. <laughs> and he can't pass for shit. Like, think about how much more involved Gobert would be. Gobert has taken 30 shots this whole series. All right? Let's just go to a random Clipper player. Kennard's played about half the minutes and taken 25 shots. Like, Gobert, yeah, maybe, you know, not like a whole lot more, but he should be a lot more involved. He should be touching it a lot more. And Mitchell just isn't the guy to feed him that. Like, he's averaging 4.6 assists a game right now, and it seems high. Like, it seems high for him. He's not passing. He's much more likely to shoot off of the screen than he is to pass. And Gobert is one of the best lob threats in the league, right? Like, to not utilize that is asinine to me. But when you when you can't do it, that's that's the problem. We you brought up Conley. I don't think Conley's one of the five best players in the Western Conference. I think he's one of the five most important players in the Western Conference, though. Like his skill set, there aren't really a whole lot of players in the league who do what he does. Like you brought up on the Jazz, like who has that combination of playmaking, passing, and shooting in defense. Like, that, who has that combination? Like, that's a pretty damn rare combination. Like, Reggie Jackson is not popping off like this if Conley's healthy. Like, that's just a fact. Mitchell sucks on defense. Like, nobody talks about it because he plays with Gobert. He sucks on defense. And then their best perimeter defender other than O'Neal might be Ingles, and Ingles is 33. Like, they're missing so much from Conley's absence. 
but it's mostly it's 95% of it is the playmaking and getting the others involved. Like that was what made them take during the Grizzlies series was that there was always someone open and Conley was always the guy finding that person open and they really miss him. Like, I don't think they miss anyone. Like I think Mitchell could miss the series and they wouldn't miss him as much as they miss Conley. Like, I think it's that drastic. And, you know, I brought up the poor defenders thing. I think that's why Derek favors plus minus is so low. Derek favors doesn't suck. It's everyone around him. That sucks. You're going to ask Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich and Donovan Mitchell to stop constant rim threats. Like they're not going to stop anybody. So, I mean, Mitchell, he's been incredible, right? Like, I don't think we can deny how good he's been. Like, he had a 45-point game earlier in this series, but if he puts up performances like he did last night, like, they, it looked like they figured him out last night. And, hell, it's since game three, it's looked like they figured him out. Like, basically, just bring late help, and he's not going to pass. Like, I, I feel like they figured out Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and that's exactly their problem. Like, they, they need two creators for this team. And Donovan Mitchell is just much better when he's playing off Conley. Because Conley has been the number one guy, basically, for his entire career. He's able to handle that. Mitchell is still getting used to it, and he doesn't have the passing chops to be able to, you know, do what he needs to do when he gets stopped. And again, go back to that Grizzly series. He was he had free reign to do whatever he wanted because Conley was taking all the hell and just passing it off. And right now, Mitchell is facing all the hell, and he's either going to turn it over or just way overshoot or something, but it's just not enough. And, again, the rest of these guys on this team, they're meant, they're meant to be passed to. That's their job. You pass to them, they shoot. And if they're not getting the ball, then you can't expect them to do much. I will say, I will say, Boyan Bogdanovich has been very good in this series. Yeah. Like, this is his best series easily since 2018 round one. Or was that 2019? Whatever the, uh, <laughs> whenever they played the Cavs. Like, that was his best series on both sides. And this has been a really good series for Bogdanovich. But you want to talk about a guy who can't create for others. Bogdanovich is averaging, like, he's averaging 1.6 assists a game right now. And that, again, that feels high. He's not a passer. He's not a natural playmaker. He's the, he'll swing it, right? But he's not going to pass, like, he's not going to drive in and create for, for anyone but himself. But, like, Bogdanovich is at 18.6 points a game on 45, 47, 85 shooting splits. Like, I mean, he's doing, he's doing really well. The problem is everybody, like, everybody else. He's a finisher, not a creator. Yeah, I mean, he was 9 of 17 from 3 last night. <laughs> like, how many guys in the league can do that? I mean, Bogdanovich is awesome, and, like, I love that signing for them. But, again, they just need someone else to take the pressure off Mitchell and do some dribbling, and they don't have it. I mean, like, angles, right? I mean, okay. We know Ingles has playmaking chops. I mean, they're not going to stick their bet. They're not going to stick like hell, Paul George on Marcus on Joe Ingles. They're probably not even going to stick Marcus Morris on Joe Ingles. Like you're going to have probably the a worst defender on Ingles. Why not run pick and rolls with Ingles and Gobert? We've seen Ingles handle capably in pick and rolls all the time. Like that's his forte almost. Yeah, and again with the size thing, 
they should be taking more advantage of Gobert on offense. I mean, the Clippers have very good defenders, but they're smaller. And Gobert has a ton of airspace. And, like, this is – it's the same thing, you know, going back to the Giannis thing. Like, when you have a big guy that can catch lobs, get get him the ball. It's it's not that hard. Don't make your life hard and have a double team on the perimeter constantly when you can run pick and rolls and have your seven-foot-eight guy dunk it. It's It's pretty simple. And either the Clippers have figured out some sort of genius defensive combination or Quinn Snyder – just can't crack the code of Conley not out there. Well, here's okay. You know, I'm loath to say Shaq is right about today's NBA, right? Like, you know, Shaq and I have pretty much diametrically opposed stances on today's NBA, but he kind of has a point when people need to get more of a post game. Like, you can't punish. Um, I saw this on Twitter, uh, Jason Maples 55 on Twitter. Um, he basically has been saying this whole series. Like, Gobert can't punish them for going small, right? Same with Chris Stapps. They can't punish them for going small. If the Clippers face the Suns, Aiton will punish them for going small. But, I mean, Gobert can't. Gobert doesn't have any semblance of a post move. So you can't throw it to him with Marcus Morris on him and say, hey, Rudy, go give us a bucket. He can't do that. That's not his game. And ultimately, I think that's Rudy's deficiencies on defense is whatever. His deficiencies on offense are what gets him played off the court because he can't punish them for having Marcus Morris guarding him or Nick Batum guarding him. Like he can't punish that. And that to me is the problem with, you know, with the Jazz is that their center can't punish the Clippers are going small. Yeah. I mean, he's a good dunker. And how could he not be? But if you get a strong enough defender down low, that can keep him three feet from the rim. He's going to have to do a hook shot. And, yeah, he'll make some of them because he's still taller than the other guy, but that's not his game. And how the hell can you be in the, the league this long at that height and that position and not get some sort of decent post moves down? And, you know, that's why Gobert gets a lot of hate because he's just – he's so reliant on, on his teammates on offense to have success. He has to be in the pick and roll to succeed. Otherwise he's just worthless. And that's, that's a great way to put it. Like again, 30 shots, this whole series, you know, you could blame Mitchell for that. Yeah. But I mean, Rudy, if he had any semblance of offensive skill at all, which to be fair, screening is probably the most valuable offensive skill. That's not, that shows doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but you not having a post game makes life harder on all your teammates because now you're getting exposed by being dragged out to the perimeter and they're being exposed because they can't guard either. So like, really it's a zero sum. Like there's, it's a lose, lose situation for the jazz. Like, yeah, they're going to get cooked every single time on defense because, okay, the Clippers are pulling everyone out of the paint and then on offense, they can't take advantage of that. Like, and Favors can. We've seen Favors with postgame before, but Favors, every time, <laughs> every time he's in the game, they just attack the rim even more relentlessly. So it's like, what do you do? It's it's really hard. <laughs> it's just, I don't, it's an unenviable position. But um, let's talk about Clarkson real quick. He's been, like, electric from three, but inside the arc. <laughs> so if my math is right, he is 
currently six of 24 from inside the arc. My math is definitely wrong, but he's not, it's not pretty right now for Jordan Clarkson on the inside of, from inside the three point line. Um, do you think that the Clippers are doing a good job guarding Jordan Clarkson? I mean, Clarkson kind of makes it easy to make it easy to guard him because he just, he kind of forces a lot. I think his three point shots, like he gets good looks because there's, he gets one defender, right? He can beat the one defender, but when he starts going inside, he just kind of forces things he shouldn't force. And again, this Clippers team has such great wings that any of those guys can guard him. And when you have five guys on the floor, they can guard you. <laughs> it's going to be tough when you start getting closer to the rim. So it, it's, it's just scary for the jazz looking forward. Cause like, obviously they have to win two straight that. I mean, the three point shot is the least reliable shot you have. Even if you're a great three point shooter, there's going to be a game where Clarkson just zeros out from three and he's not knocking anything down. And again, with Conley out, you need as much guard production from your guards as you can. So it's just scary. If if the next game is the one where Clarkson can't get anything going from anywhere, the Jazz are going to lose. And that's that's just the scary part of their situation right now. Absolutely. Um, that's a great way to put it. Um, before we move on, Yang's been terrible. <laughs> Shocker, right? But – Niang's at 15% from the field and 10% from three. And he's only, he's only taking 10 threes right now with only taking 10 threes for the series, which if Niang's out there, he's got to take more than that, right? Like you're a shooter. That's your whole thing. Um, and O'Neal, O'Neal has been fine, but you know, he's whatever. I think we've touched on everything we need to touch on for this uh, series. Let's go ahead and give a quick prediction. So game six will be ten- – both game sixes for these series will be on Friday when this is released. Dylan, what is your prediction for the rest of the series? Mm. See, the only- I'm still scared by the Jazz's shooting. But, I mean, like last night, they were 20 of 54 from three, 37%. So they lost by eight. Like, that, that's the one variable where I think the Jazz could take advantage of. But the Clippers shooting's been so good, too. I just don't think the Jazz have it. Like, seriously, I really think Conley was a bigger absence than Kawhi. Because, again, the Clippers can kind of pool two or three guys together and they can make up those extra points. But the Jazz, they don't have anyone to replace Conley. So I, I think the Clippers go ahead and finish it out. Yeah, I'm calling Clippers in six. And they have the home court tomorrow. Um, they've been a lot better at home <laughs> since game, you know, since the first two games of the, uh, or I guess they had home court in the first round. Yeah, they would have had home court since, uh, since the first two games of the first round, they've been a lot better at home. So I think I'm giving them, I'm giving them tomorrow night, but we'll see. We'll see. There's a real, very real chance that Jazz pulled this out. Um, and I, let's go ahead and move on to our next series, Dylan, which I think we could say we're saving the best for last on this one. This is fucking wild series right now. So um, right now the Hawks are up three to two on the Sixers. They 
The Hawks won game one, 128 to 124. The Sixers took the next two, 118 to 102, then 127 to 111. This is where it starts to get weird. Hawks take game four, 103 to 100. And then Hawks take, take game five, 109 to 106. Um, let's just start off by talking about last night's game. I mean, I'm not even going to do a, a, like a long intro. Dylan, what a fucking choke job by the Sixers. You know you're in trouble when Seth Curry is your second best player, and he's your second best player by like a mile and a half. I mean, and I'm, no disrespect to him, he dropped 36. He looked like Steph yesterday. Yeah, Mavericks, mother of God, we were wrong as hell on that trade. Like that was one of those trades where on paper the Mavericks win. Because the players were fairly close, but they get the second round pick. Like value wise, it seems great. But this is why, like, I'm just fucking done with value. I always want great value. Danny Ainge always wanted great value. Look what happened to him. And the the Mavericks wanted great value, and they ended up giving away the guy that fit way better with their team. And now he happens to play for the 76ers. And he is basically their only reliable shot maker outside of Embiid because Tobias Harris, who we've liked this year, is kind of going back to his old ways where he'll have one great game and then one stinker when it really matters. And, you know, Ben Simmons is obviously 4-14 from the free throw line. Not going to work. I mean, it's just obviously the Sixers aren't out of it but I just want them to lose so they can just trade Simmons. Like, we've been waiting on this for years. Get rid of him. Get Lowry or someone that is a much better fit with Embiid, and let's get moving. Because as much as we love Simmons here on defense, like, his offense in the playoffs is just so unreliable. He's still a great passer, but, God, put him on the free throw line. He's going to kill you. And I, you just they just can't continue with that. And it's – man, I really thought the Sixers were going to, like, easily win this series. But the way it's shaping out, I am really – like, it's so understandable how this is happening. <laughs> I, think, I think it was more about not trusting the Hawks than trusting the Sixers. But, man, like, not to flip it to the, to the Hawks, but Trey is just so, so, so good. Well, let's just start with the Hawks then because Trey, I think Trey's announcing himself. I, again, superstar is such a hard thing for me, but man, he is really fucking close right now. After that, like this for this series, he is averaging 29 points a game, 10, 10.8 assists. And the shooting percentages aren't that great, but he's being guarded by Thibel and <laughs> he's putting up those numbers while being guarded by Thibel and Simmons. All right. Think about how crazy that is. Like the overall, the 76ers defense is doing great, right? Like that's not their problem. But even then, even with them doing great, they're still not stopping Trey. Like Trey's right now is at over 10 free throw attempts a game too. Like he's just, he's getting whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. I mean, I don't know. Do you saw the, uh, to go back to game one, did you see the pass he threw at the end of game one to John Collins? Oh, that was a while ago. I think I may have seen it, but I forgot. So he 
they're like up three. The the 76ers, if you remember, they're making a furious comeback. Like the, the Hawks are up like, you know, 20 points at one point. They're making a furious comeback. I think the Haw- the Hawks are up five. And Trey throws a 35-foot alley-oop to John Collins to make it a seven-point game. Now, there was more shenanigans after that. But basically, like I'm like, okay, Trey's for real. Like, And I, I've said that a lot of times these playoffs. But we let's be real. We didn't take the Knicks as seriously as we were taking the 76ers. We just didn't. And, like, Trey's doing this on such a big stage – like, I can't believe they're up 3-2, but it's almost, not almost all on the back of Trey because the, you know, Gallows had, the, Gallows had by far the best playoff series of his career. Herter has been playing well. Um, Capella, I mean, he's been doing fine for the most part. Bogdanovich has been fine. And Collins is playing a lot better than he did against New York. But, I mean, they aren't in this position without Trey. They, they just aren't. No, and I would say the biggest difference is Bogdanovich has not been as good as he was last series either. Like, those those two just killed the Knicks. That was the thing. This series, I mean, it's really – Trey has just been leading the cause. I mean, he has been so good. And as we talked about pre-pod, the major difference is that he is not relying on his shooting at all. He shot six threes last night out of 23 shots. He got to the line 19 times and he made 17. I mean, that that's how you go from being a star to like a superstar conversation. When you get to the line like that, that's how Harden became Harden. And Harden shot a ton of threes still. And Trey obviously is going to continue to shoot a bunch of threes, but his game is not relying on threes anymore. And, you know, I'm giving a lot of credit to Nate McMillan there because Lloyd Pierce just, he wanted to make Har- Trey Young harden, and Trey Young just doesn't have the size to do that. I don't think if he was if he was as big as Harden, maybe it'd work out, but he's just too small. I think that was the problem with that experiment, and having him both rely on Bogdanovich more and shoot less threes has just turned him into such a better off ball player. And also, he just goes and shoots that little floater, man. Or he gets fouled. I mean, he has faced really good defense. Like, even the Knicks. Like, the Knicks had one of the best defenses in the league all, all year. He killed them. It doesn't matter who he's going against. He knows how to get to the, either the line or get points in the bucket. And he is he has just been amazing to watch. He has been. I will say about Bogdanovich, like the numbers aren't bearing, like, or I guess the numbers kind of are bearing it out. The 76ers are pretty scared of Bogdanovich. Like they're Simmons and Thibel are guarding him a good amount. There's, you don't see Korkmaz on him at all. Like they are pretty, I'd say they're pretty concerned about Bogdanovich. Like they, they really respect his ability. And I say that's a huge factor for them because like you're taking out one of their best defenders and you're putting them on their second best player. And obviously the Sixers are blessed with two all-time defensive talents on the perimeter, but Trey's been able to take advantage of the fact that they're so scared of Bogdanovich. And so is again, this is the best series that Neil Gallinari's ever played like ever. Cause the, he doesn't have any defensive pressure on him. Like he's, this is the least guarded Gallo's ever been <laughs> in a playoff series. And this is why you bring in a guy like Danilo Gallinari. You would, would you know what? Do you know what Danilo Gallinari is shooting from three in this series? I do not. He's shooting 45% from three. 
14 points, six, five and a half rebounds, 45, 45, 95. And he's gotten to the foul line 21 times this whole series. So like four times a game, which is like, he's so good at drawing those cheap little fouls. I mean, we'll talk about other guys, but it's so huge to have a guy like Gallinari actually step up. Like this is the first time in his career. He's actually stepped up in the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. And he was, he was a pretty good part of why they won last night too. Like he, he didn't hit a ton of shots, but like he hit shots that really mattered when, when they needed him. And I mean, yeah, he was fantastic last night. He's been great all series. Like, and you're right. I mean, the Sixers just have to, they have to pick their poison because like last night, Bogdanovich and Herder were a combined three of 16 and Trey wasn't that great from the field either, but they don't have enough defenders to get all of those guys on locks. That's the issue. They have to pick because we know if they want to lock Trey up, Bogdanovich and Herder, they're just going to rain from three. One of those guys is going to go off, and it may not be enough to win, but they'll at least keep him in it. And it's kind of odd that the Sixers have chosen to not lock down Trey. Maybe they don't have a choice because he's been so good. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. They've they've definitely singled out Bogdanovich and I think Herter as well because the numbers don't show it. I think Herter on both ends has been really good this playoffs. Like even on defense, I think he's actually been pretty damn good especially in that Knicks series. He was doing a good job guarding the perimeter, especially. Um, But yeah. And again, we talked about Hunter earlier, not having him out there is not showing up as much. Like if he was out there, I almost think they would have already won the series (laughs) based on how it's played out the past two games. Exactly. Like they're missing Hunter and Reddish. (laughs) And yeah, Reddish, whatever. But like Hunter, Again, we brought this up earlier when we talked about the injury. They don't win that Knicks series without DeAndre Hunter. He is by far like the reason why they won that series, I would say. Like, because he shut down Julius Randle. And I they, you know, they the last couple of games, they haven't exactly needed any help shutting down Tobias Harris. He's kind of done that himself. But I think that the way that they're doing this shorthanded is such a testament to Trey Young. Like, we have to start considering him as an upper echelon player. Like, I believe, like, you know, the Knicks series is whatever. Like, people are like, oh, that's Trace coming out, blah, blah, blah. No, this is Trace coming out party. Like, what he's doing in this series against one of the best defenses in the league. Like, Dylan, this was probably, like, the Sixers were probably, we'd agree coming into the playoffs, they were the best defensive team in the league. And look at what he's doing to them. He's abusing them. And, like, a third-year point guard shouldn't be doing this. I mean, so, okay, let me ask you. Because when we did our, our point guard rankings a couple of weeks ago, he, or, like, a few weeks ago, Trey wasn't – he was below Ja. I mean, he shot up those rankings for you, right? Like, am I crazy for assuming that? No. We'll see. I think something I mentioned, because we had Darren Fox in that mix, too. And because of these playoffs, like, I want to just automatically put Ja and Trey above him. And I probably will because, again, I've discussed at length, like I really think playoffs are a huge deal. And that's why I've always loved Jimmy Butler because he's our guy that always shows up in the playoffs. This year notwithstanding. (laughs) But aside from this year, I mean, he's been great up to this point. So, you know, the playoffs hold a lot of weight. And De'Aaron Fox hasn't got the chance. Like if De'Aaron Fox made the playoffs next year, I think 
I don't think it'd be out of the ordinary for him to average 35 in a series, you know? I think he's very capable of that. But, yeah, I mean, Ja and, and Trey have actually done it, really. So, those two have definitely moved up the list. And, again, like, point guard is, is just a very tough position to, to rank because, God, it's like half the good players in the league are point guards, it feels like. So, it's tough. And it's crazy that, you know, Trey Young, as good as he is, still may be, like, the fifth best point guard in the league or whatever, but that's just how deep it is. But, yeah, I mean, him and Ja – have definitely both moved up. But as far as who's better between them, I mean, does it even matter? No, it they're doesn't. Both, they're both awesome. <laughs> it doesn't. But I, I I personally think Trey is just like real, like even with the defensive limitations, he's really close to that superstar echelon for me, which is not something him, Booker, and Mitchell have all moved up considerably, in my opinion, this playoffs. Like, I know we talked about Mitchell's struggles the last three games, but they like – each of them have played phenomenal basketball and Mitchell was being guarded by Dylan Brooks. You know what I mean? Like we saw Dylan Brooks, just real quick shout out to him. We didn't have time to finish up the first round series, but Dylan Brooks averaging 25 points a game while playing the defense he played in a playoff series. I, that was honestly one of the better performances this postseason. That's going to get lost to the fact that it was a five game series, but Dylan Brooks, shout out to him. Um, Let's see. What else do we have to let's talk about, let's talk about the center. Let's talk about Clint Capella. Um, <laughs> Capella's kind of been up and down in this series because Embiid at times looks like he's basically unstoppable and Capella can't guard him. Then there's other times where Capella looks like prime Akeem Olajuwon. <laughs> obviously I'd say the truth lies a lot closer to the first half because obviously Embiid's still dealing with a meniscus somehow he's still playing through it. I mean, Dylan is so just based on the, uh, the dominance of Embiid, how much of that is on Capella and how much of that is just Embiid being an absolute unstoppable force. I mean, I, I think Embiid and Jokic are both the same where it's like, if you can guard him, you might be a prophet. Like we might have to start praising you and write a book because I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen Jokic be stopped. I haven't seen Embiid be stopped. Um, so Capella's great. He's just, it's funny to call him small, but when you put him up against Embiid, he's small. So I don't blame him at all. I mean, he's, he does what he can. And again, like he can pretty much guard any other center in the league, but Embiid is just pretty much always going to have his way. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for Clint, but at the same time, you know, he's doing a good enough job, I suppose, but it's just, it's so hard to guard Embiid. He's so fucking good, but um, I think we've covered all our Atlanta bases. Let's, let's finish talking about the Philly side of game five real quick, because that was embarrassing. So with, I don't remember how much time was left on the clock, but at one point they were leading 83 to 58. And the Hawks proceed to outscore them 51 to 25 in like the last basically 15, 16 minutes of the game. Like in terms of Doc's postseason coaching the last two years, he's been really bad. Like the upgrade from Lou to Doc is becoming much more evident because of the Nuggets series last year and because of this series. Like, what is going on with Doc Rivers' teams and just losing large leads? 
I mean, I, I think he just tries to stick with things that don't work too long, maybe. Like, I don't, I don't know. It, it's got to be adjustments. But the thing is, as much as, as good as this roster is compared to Sixers rosters of the past, it's just what else can you do? Who do you go to, you know? Like, George Hill hasn't been that great. Shake Milton hasn't been that great. Thibel is just not a creator. Maxi is a rookie. Like, I mean, I think Simmons is the one guy you have to look at. Like, all right, we got to get him off the floor on offense. We're not scoring enough. But who do you go to? We can't go to Harris. He sucks. You know, the two guys they could rely on, they went to and they were good. They just, they got two reliable guys and one of them is not Ben Simmons. So as much as I would like to blame Doc, I just don't think he really has any better options from what he's doing. I just... Again, Simmons is just not – I mean, as you said, like the Sixers have been good, have been really good on defense. They just have not been able to outscore the Hawks. And it's because Simmons got put at the line 14 times and he missed 10 of them. Like that stuff is huge. It's huge. And it's just – I think it's just a roster issue. And, again, they're going to have to move on from Simmons. They just – they have no option at this point. My three-team trade, Dylan, the CJ to Washington, the Beal to Philly, and the Ben to Portland trade is looking more appetizing by the day, I'll tell you that much. Um, You brought up Tobias, and we obviously brought him up earlier. (laughs) He finished the game. So, like, how does he do this? He is getting paid. And listen, I don't like doing the, you know, contracts thing. I think, you know, guys can play well in spite of the contracts, but this is just abysmal. And even I have to point this out. Four points, four rebounds, three assists, two of 11 from the field, 0 of three from three, minus 10. Like no free throws, no free throws. And there was one play at the end of the game. He was playing hot potato every time he touched the ball in the fourth quarter, every time, like, so I went back, right? I watched these games live, but I'm like, okay, I missed a lot of stuff. I have to go back and watch the fourth quarter on game on the second half on game four and game five. Game four was whatever. You know, the Hawks came back. They won. Um, I don't think MB just went 0 of 12, right? That's what happened in game four. It's pretty explainable. This game, like, the, I think the only shot Tobias took in the fourth was that block by John Collins, was the one that John Collins blocked. I think that was the only shot he took in the whole fourth quarter. Did you know? Dylan Hughes, that no one scored in the second half besides Embiid or Curry. Was it the entire half? I thought it, it was, was the, the entire quarter. I, it might have just been the fourth quarter. Let me let me double check. Let me do my due diligence here. Well, Ben Simmons scored two points. So okay, no one made a shot, a field goal besides those two the whole half. Wow. So, and then Ben was two of six from the foul line. Korkmaz was two of three and then shake was two of two um (laughs) just really bad stuff from the sixers i mean seth curry that was a steph like half like you can't waste a seth curry game like that like he was really like he was hitting step backs he was driving to the paint he was looking really good in that game and it didn't matter because fucking no one else in the sixers and and being tired out too and being shot three for nine so it's not like we're talking about like you know some stellar performance by Embiid in the second half. I mean, this team just doesn't have enough firepower, and I can't believe they don't have enough firepower against the fucking Hawks. Like, I, I can't believe that. Yeah, it's it's pretty embarrassing because, again, 
as much as we've talked up these other guys on the Hawks, like they really shouldn't be that hard. Like last night, Trey obviously 39, John Collins 19, everyone else, I guess Gallinari was good too. Everyone else pretty or and Lou. Oh yeah, by the way, I don't I hope you don't have the game log open, but do you want to guess what Lou Will's plus minus was last night if you don't already know? Thankfully, I just closed it. So he was really good. Oh, wait, I saw. I saw. It was plus 31, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if I've actually ever seen that. I we, we forgot to talk about Collins. We forgot to talk about Lou Will. We can circle back to them at the end. But the bench for the Sixers has been so bad in this series. Like, so, okay. So, Quirk Maz, I'm counting him as a starter, even though he's – came off the bench for the first three games. They had one good Shake Milton game. And that's basically all the bench production they've gotten for this whole series. Like, and Doc runs these all bench lineups that are just awful. Like, they're just awful. I don't know why they didn't move George Hill into the starting lineup. Like, isn't that the whole reason you have George Hill? (laughs) Is the fill-in? Like, I feel like he'd be so much better playing with the starters. But nope, Doc leaves him on the bench. Oh, God, the Sixers, man, they're just so terribly coached. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a fair one. Like, I don't know. And by the way, somehow Corkmoss is plus 22, but I don't understand, like, do we really need to see him anymore? Like, I understand what he can do, but he's not doing it. So, you know, George Hill is not perfect either, but – George Hill, like George Hill, Curry, and Simmons, I kind of like the sound of that. Like, I think you can make that work. But Corkmaz offers nothing besides shooting, really, so I don't know. And they need that shooting on the bench when they're bringing off Tybal and Howard. Yeah. Like, they have no spacing with that second unit. Like, Tybal somehow is shooting 42% from three in this series. But we know that you give him – if he shoots six times, he's making two of them at most – He's not going to kill you from distance. Howard obviously is, you know, just a foul machine who doesn't space. And like Maxi is just a rookie. And you can't, you can't trust rookies. Actually, we got to circle back on three players because we got to talk about Okongwu too. He's looking really good in this series. Really good. But I mean, do we trust this before we get back to the Hawks guys? Do we trust the Sixers to pull this out? Like it's a legitimate question. No. Because, I mean, they have to have – so you have to have two guys go off. You know Embiid's going to be one of them, so you got that. Is Seth Curry going to drop 30 points again? He could, but even last night it wasn't enough to win. So I don't trust Harris to do it, and we know Simmons isn't going to do it. So I don't know. Like, I, I really just think it's it's Embiid, and then you pray that two other guys can maybe combine for 40 points. I don't know, but I don't really trust that. Like, Embiid's very clearly running out of gas in the second half. Like, that's very obviously what's happening. And they don't have enough stamina and enough firepower to keep up that with that for the rest of the game. Um, we got to circle. The guy we got to talk about the most, circling back to the Hawks, John Collins has played amazingly in this series. Like, this this is like max, max extension, John Collins. What have you saw from John Collins that you liked in this series? I mean, yeah, like this, first of all, great time to do it as a uh, restricted free agent. 
but yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been great. And like, I don't want to act surprised because we've seen this his whole career. It's we haven't seen in the playoffs yet. This year has just been odd because the Gallinari edition Capella, like Collins went from being the only trustworthy front court guy to like the third best one. And I, this season has probably been his best. Like the numbers won't show it, but I think he's been more efficient and I think he's been better, but he's had his moments of iffiness and, you know, that Nick series, he was up and down at points, um, especially early on, but yeah, I mean, he's been great and he's been shooting it from three really well, which has really helped uh, kind of alleviate that pressure off Trey. And he's just bringing the boards down, man. Like people, I still think people underrate rebounding. I mean, especially when you haven't beat on the other side, you, you got to get rebounds. And as good as of a rebounder, as good as a rebounder as Capella is, he's being boxed out by Embiid all game. So you got to have someone crash those boards. And I mean, Collins has just been done a great job of stepping up because again, they don't have Hunter. They need someone else to step up. And again, also Bogdanovich has been shut down uh, at least compared to last year. So yeah, I mean, he's been huge and he's going to have to keep, you know, getting 15 to 20 points for them to close this out. Yeah. I mean, he had that bank three, you know, I think to cut it to 12 at the, um, in the last game, but he hit a, like, you know, a couple of really clutch shots. He got this one really huge offensive rebound towards the end of game five and, you know, gets the offensive rebound, kicks it like the ball ends up back up on the perimeter. And then he relocates to the corner. Trey drives, finds him wide open. He bangs the three, right? And this was in crunch time. Like he's been really good on both sides. Like my criticism of John Collins is just that his defense sucked. And against New York, it really did. Anytime they tried to shoot with him contesting the rim, you know, that usually went in, but what they've been doing with him this series is like, okay, you're going to deny entry passes. That's what you're going to do, John. Like you're going to deny the entry passes and you're not going to let them get the ball to the post. Like they want to, cause they haven't beaten. They have Simmons and they, you know, Collins has been really good in the passing lanes. Um, he's, I mean, okay. Only averaging 0.6 deals, but Hey, he's looked good in the passing lanes. He's gotten a lot of deflections. Um, and he's also just been really active on that side. And if he's playing both sides, he's a max player. Like, I think that that's really the end of the discussion. Like, if he plays both sides, then he is a max player. And I think that this series has been huge for his confidence. And if he keeps us up and they win the series, then he might have a huge series against Brooklyn. Who's to say? But um, let's talk about Lou and Okongwu real quick. Lou's been really good in this series. <laughs> a lot better than I thought he was going to be. Like, yeah, he's not going to give you, like, five straight games of good games. But the last two, Lou's been really good. And they've kind of needed that veteran leadership from him. Yeah. I think he was one of the more underrated deadline additions. We've talked about this on the pod a couple of times, but Rondo was just a much better fit for the Clippers. And Lou was a much better fit for this Hawks team. And I mean, he's been fun on this Hawks team. Like he hasn't been the Lou we all know and love obviously, but I mean, last night we got a little bit of a taste, you know, of, he's going to be able to score buckets until he's 80 and he's still out there, man. And it's just fun to watch. It's just, it's just funny that no one can ever figure him out. You know, you would think 
that he's like this massive, super athletic dude that has the best shot creations or the best space creation in the world. Like he's really not that like he's, he's really a pretty average athletic, you know, guard, but he's just, his ability to create shots. It can just never be killed. And right now. And like, that's the thing, right? Like he's a high school guy. And I know the high school guys have kind of fallen out of the NBA at this point, but those high school guys were usually done by the time they were like 32. Right. Like we saw it with Jermaine O'Neal. We saw like Amir Johnson was done. Do you know, that Lou Will is the last prep to pro guy, like dra- like the last prep to pro draft pick in the league. I could see that. Uh, I know CJ Miles. He was one. He's out. the the last The last uh, high school guy selected in the draft was Amir Johnson, but he's out of the league. So Lou Will was taking about ten picks before Amir Johnson. Mm-hmm. So he is the last high school guy. Monte Ellis was taken in that range too. A lot of uh, good high school players that year, but yeah, Lou Will has been really good for the uh, the Hawks. And we got to talk about Okongwu, man. He's, you know, he's making it look like President Halliburton was, wasn't such a bad idea for the Hawks. Like he's been, I think he's been, like, I know he's only played 40 minutes the whole series, but he's looked really good in those minutes. Yeah, he was getting some more run, like, in the second half of the regular season. I liked what I saw. Like, he, he hasn't really gotten a ton of run at all even in these playoffs but yeah like he's I've always kind of seen him as like a mini Capella you know he does a lot of the same things not as well obviously but yeah I mean in the short bursts of time he's got he's looked pretty good yeah I just wanted to shout him out because we like to give the young guys shout outs we shouted out Obi Toppin last series so it only makes sense that we give Okongwu his shine um you know they've been slandered all year for not being Caliburton but hey you know if they could be NBA players then you know, fuck them, right? I think that's everything we got, Dylan. Um, this is a really jam-packed show. I think we're at, like, currently hour 38. So I think we did a good job jamming a lot of information into a short amount of time. Yeah, I think we're about an hour short of our estimate. So uh, our our efficiency is massively improved. I know. We're uh, we're taking a, a Donovan Mitchell playoff efficiency jump. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for. So... Um, let's see the shameless plugs. Divine Rhyme. Uh, when, do you know when that'll be uh, back? I think next week, right? It's safe to say. Yeah, we should be out early next week. Okay, cool. Because, you know, you were on vacation. Hogs, I, Hogs is doing Hogs things. So I figured it, it would be back, like, once you're back in the rhythm of things. So I'm glad to know that'll be back. Um, Linsanity will also be back probably on Tuesday. And then whenever JD and Caleb record. I hopped on Linsanity this week. And I unleashed holy hell on Caleb Lynn because <laughs> I wanted to. I basically wasn't like, hey, I'm like, when are you recording with JD? He's like, today, I'm like, can I hop on? He's like, sure. Then I yelled at him for an hour and a half. Um, <laughs> so if you want to go check that out, go check that out. But there will be new insanities next week talking about the craziness as well. I'm sure they'll, t- they'll touch on some of the craziness we touched on, but we we touched on most of it um battleground was back last week they touched on uh other stories nba stories and they also talked about julio julio to the titans dylan hughes your heart was broken listen i was trying to enjoy a great vacation like tahoe i get the notification on my phone and i was just pissed man like that was the one team i didn't want him to go to and i i tweeted he's played against the colts three times in his career and 
I think two of them, he had a hundred plus yards and the other one, he had like two touchdowns. So it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough to uh, watch those two games a year, but I still have faith. The Colts can figure it out. Hey, you know, who's to say, I, I think the Colts are winning the division and the Super Bowl this year, but that's just me being hopelessly optimistic. Um, Circle city cinema. They'll we'll be back. Zach and I are going to be reviewing the new Marvel show Loki. So check that out. We should be back this uh, early next week as well. A lot of early next week shows. Triple option pass. Ryan Gregory, our boy, just got hired as the uh, editor of the Sun Prairie Times in Wisconsin. Shout out to him. But unfortunately, that means uh, triple option pass kind of has to be put on a little bit more of a hiatus. But hopefully once he's settled down, we can uh, record a coulda, shoulda, woulda with two big 12 teams that could have won the 2016 championship, I want to say. So make sure you uh, check that out whenever we can put that out. Um, we already brought up Divine Rhyme. I think that's everything we got. Yeah. Oh, from one young soul to another. I can't believe I almost forgot this. Still accused. All right. You know what? I'm taking a week off from this. It's a lot of pressure. I can't live up to all the pressure. It's been two weeks. Next week, I'll come back with a greater one. But listen. All right. No, I know what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll call the... If you don't buy Dylan Hughes' book from one young soul to another, I'll call the post office and tell them you change addresses and make sure you don't get any of your mail. I I think that's the way to go for this week. So simple but effective. How how was that one, Dylan? Not not my best, but I don't think it was my worst. It wasn't your worst, no. I mean, that's that's a hell of a an issue. <laughs> I mean, I can just imagine it's like Monday afternoon. You're like, where the fuck's the mail at? They keep skipping my house every time I see them come by. You got to call the post office. You know, government government agencies, no one wants to call them. They all suck. That's just a whole problem. I mean, that's that's worth the money, man. That's worth the money. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, that's worth $7.50 or $5 for the ebook. So, <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to think of what else. Facts and stats to J.D. Hall. Make sure you check that out. And then of dorks. I believe that's all my bases. Um, Dylan, an exciting week of NBA basketball. Really a lot to talk about. We covered a lot in such a short time. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.